Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, pregnancy-focused chiropractor, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My returning guest today is a singer, songwriter, and mom. She has a thriving career and a growing family. Last time we talked, she was very pregnant and about to deliver. And we're tuning in for the rest of the story. Christina Perry, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, hello. <laughs> I was just saying before we started recording, it's amazing to see you. I know. It's great to see you too. And we had quite the marathon of pre-birth episode. <laughs> Uh, on your own right you're just super entertaining to talk to but then there was all this very intense journey that you've been on with one pregnancy that went great and then one that ended in a first trimester miscarriage and then another one that ended in a late pregnancy loss and just a big journey in so many different ways in terms of your own health and in terms of understanding what potentially was causing the issues and also for your babies and then finding out about clotting disorders and that you have one and that a lot of people have them and don't even know that they have them and that one of the consequences is pregnancy loss and you've been working hard not just for yourself but for others to get to the bottom of it to try to help other people learn more about it and to advocate for awareness and for testing and you know it's a huge kudos to you a lot of people like i would probably just get knocked down and never pick myself up and dust myself off and try again you not only did that but you're constantly working to help other people along the way so last time we talked you were pregnant and towards the end of your pregnancy yeah a lot has happened since for you yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty much the same as i was before. <laughs> so First of all, I mean, as the pregnancy got closer and closer to the end, one would wonder if that created anxiety for you. Oh, my gosh. You know, I don't even know where to begin. I'm sitting here like we could definitely start with anxiety. It's interesting. I feel like I had my daughter like a couple of days after I talked to you because I ended up going a bit early. Mm -hmm. So I really last spoke with you at the plot twist, like right at the top. And I was definitely anxious. And well, let me say this. I definitely haven't slept for eight weeks. Okay. Mm. I think like, it's so funny. Like I keep saying to Paul, my husband, you know, if I like committed a crime, I could like get off with insanity because like <laughs> I'm not sleeping or like, oh. like some form of Chinese torture to like not sleep more than four hours at a time for 68 days. But like, who's counting? <laughs> yeah. Who? No, I want to preface and say that because A, I might be scattered, definitely more than last time. And B, you know, I'm like, I might forget what I'm saying. But anyway, I'm going to try to make sense. But I want to say I was at the height of my anxiety when I last spoke with you. And excitement, you know, it was like a mix of both because I just was like excited to not be pregnant. And then at the same time, I just really hoped that the baby was alive. And I think in hindsight now, I think it's kind of funny because I said to everyone in my pregnancy, my bar is so low. As long as the baby comes out alive, I'm going to be so chill. I'm going to be such a chill new mom again. And I, in fact, proved myself incredibly wrong. I was oh. absolutely not chill. I'll explain it all. So I want to say, like, I wasn't super anxious only because I was like really 
communicative, you know, not just with the people in my inner circle, but with all my doctors, I felt like really, really well seen and taken care of. And like, I just felt like we did the best we could during the whole pregnancy. We as in the whole team, but definitely me with like just monitoring my anxiety and trying not to let it sort of win. And then I will tell you at 37 weeks and four days, I took myself to Cedar sinai First time I pulled that card. So basically Dr. Kumet said to me, my OB, anytime you're worried, come into the office. Anytime you're worried about fetal movement, come in and we'll monitor you. And I was like, I'm good. I'm good. And to be fair, I was having extra fetal monitoring because of my history of stillborn. So I was seeing a perientologist and my OBGYN every two days. So I was very monitored and I just felt confident that the baby was alive up until October 20th. And for some reason, I just didn't like the amount of times I felt her move that day. So if you are a mom that has experienced any pregnancy loss after, you know, you feel the baby moving, you're really counting every single time. You could say you're not counting and that you're chill, but like you're definitely more aware than your first pregnancy. So to be honest, I was really keeping an eye constantly on how often I felt her moving. And it was the first time that I said, you know what, Paul, I'm actually worried. Now I will say it could be because she was bigger, like her movements weren't as dramatic or she was just sleeping because she's like ready to go. There are things that like it could have been, but in that scenario, on that particular day, after what I've been through, everyone said, just go, like, just go to the hospital. So it was 10 PM on October 21st, actually not 20th. And I went to Cedar sinai with Paul and we didn't bring everything. Cause I was like, let's just do the fetal monitoring and then go home and try to wait until Monday. She was scheduled to be induced that upcoming Monday. So I was only four days shy of my scheduled induction. And so I was like, let's just go and check out the baby and then we'll come home. I also want to mention that for the first time, I felt very brave at the hospital to ask for exactly what I wanted and needed. And I specifically asked the nurse to give me an ultrasound before she looks for the heartbeat. And I want to say that too, for any other moms that have gone through this or hopefully, you know, don't, but may go through this. I was very traumatized when Rosie died while they were looking for the heartbeat with the little monitor, you know, that they put on the your little belly. Doppler. Yeah. Yeah. And I said to Paul on the drive over, I was like, Hey, I can't survive that. Like, I don't think I can lay there and have them looking for her heartbeat and not find it. So Paul was sort of my, you know, knight in shining armor, really the whole weekend. But he was the one that said, because he's better, he's from Jersey, he's better at being like a little brass. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, sure, whatever. And Paul, I call him Paul number two, because he's a Gemini. And his like number two person, <laughs> like, no, don't mess with my family. Um, I have so, three Geminis. So this is very, oh gosh, you know, this, striking it, it is very real that Paul number one and Paul number two. But anyway, different podcast. So he said, Hey, when we got there, cause you know, they pulled out the the thing right away. And he was like, Hey, I'm sorry. We lost our last child. And it's really triggering to look for a heartbeat. Can you please bring in an ultrasound technician? And they did like within minutes, this guy came in and he immediately found her heartbeat. I could breathe on ultrasound on ultrasound. Then they hooked me up to the monitoring, decided to do like a whole non-stress test while I'm there. And while I'm there, they say, call your OB. 
And then a woman comes in who is a doula, like for the, I guess at Cedars, they have like a doula who's around that helps out or a midwife. A midwife. So she came in to talk to me, but Dr. Kometz was like, look, you're already there. This is your intuition. You felt something was off. You're only four days away from induction. I recommend we just do it. And there's a lot of things I struggle with when I think back and try to think of doing things differently. I'm not good at sometimes going back and thinking what could have been or should have been or would have been. Like, you know, I'm pretty guilty. I feel like everyone does that. And I do feel like, and this is just my trauma talking. I want to say, I think I have a lot of trauma from what happened in the next like five days. And I am going to do EMDR. I have yet to do it because I've just been in newborn land, but I think I'm traumatized. So I still think I could have done it differently. But I feel like if I have this chat in six months, I might say I would never do it differently or I forgive myself for thinking I could do it differently. I'm going to get emotional. Um, it's funny. I was kind of procrastinating talking to you because I was like, I really want to be put together. Like I want to be fine when I do my next episode. Like I want to be like, oh, and here's what was hard. And here's what I did to get through it because I'm such like an analytical person. And I wanted to talk to you when I was like, so put together and be like, here's what I did to like be better or to help myself. And the truth is I'm still in it. I'm like, so in it. So maybe it's good that like, you're going to get this like really honest, raw version of me. And then maybe we should do a part three. <laughs> First of all, the healing. <laughs> a couple of thoughts through my mind. If you're not ready, we don't have to do it. Tonight. No, please. I think it's good. Okay. I actually think it's better and okay. more honest that I give this story in this place than the super like healed version of me that I think we'll forget. I just want you to know it's always you. Whatever you want is what we'll do. Thank you. I'm just like. And I will have you back in six months for the next stage perspective, for the retrospective experience. Yeah. Okay, cool. I just want to say that because, I mean, honestly, this is my thing. I mean, I'm the soundest all the time. And if I pretended I was fine, I wouldn't be me. Wouldn't be you. Right. So uh, I think I had to forgive myself for choosing to induce when I did. And I think that like, I have to just let it go. And I think I'll eventually get there. We induced that night. The reason why I'm so disappointed too, because I have to say I was disappointed in pretty much everything. I joke around now and say like, you know, because we had the worst experience with Rosie, Paul and I just thought we deserved to have a magical experience with Pixie. By the way, my daughter's name is Pixie. So beautiful. The little Pixie dust that we needed in our family. And oh my God, there's so much to her name. But anyway, she is here and she is healthy and safe and I am safe and healthy and fine. I want to say that too. But the story is pretty traumatizing for me, my experience with it, because I was so prepared. And maybe in my last episode, you can hear how I think and how like, of course, I was super prepared. I had like everything lined up the way that I hoped it would go. And I had wiggle room for real life to happen, but I guess just not enough. And what happened is, you know, I prepared for this birth. I was like doing all this yoga and doing all this meditating and working with a doula who was so spiritual and like feminine. And I just wanted this like super feminine goddess, strong, try not to do it with, you know, drugs, like wanted to just be present, wanted to meet my daughter in a way that was so different than my last experience. Like this was my intention, right? And I do think it is worth noting that 
women have this like idea or ideal birth situation. And I'm sure with all the episodes you've done, I'm sure you've heard all of them. And like most of the time it doesn't go as planned. And I just feel like a little silly for even thinking I could just like plan it and have it be absolutely perfect. But I did certainly try. And so when I was at the hospital on October 20th, I called my doula and she was in Utah on a mountain at a retreat. <laughs> she, oh, she, actually, wow. she was like standing naked under the moon. <laughs> and she was like <laughs> sending goddess vibes to me. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. But you're not here. And it was like the only day she was like, just don't have the baby on this day. And I was like, yeah, of course, I'm not going to go early. We're already inducing early. Well, I did go early. And so there I am at the hospital. And so she's not there. And I'm like, it's fine. Paul's here. But, you know, I have to say, um, you know, it's just a guy versus like, I don't know, you know, Satha, she's like a fairy, you know, and my doula. So it was going to yeah. be just like totally different thing. And so I was like, it's okay. It's okay. So basically they started inducing me. They gave me a balloon, which along with the balloon, they gave me fentanyl. I mean, I've been sober 10 years and I've never had fentanyl. I just want to say. Whoa, can we back up a drop? Yeah. Do you remember anything about your cervix check from before you started the induction? I like was two centimeters. Two and soft, like a face? I think so. Yeah. 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 And do you know if the baby was kind of higher or lower in your pelvis? I want to say lower. Okay. And it was also, you've had vaginal birth. Yeah. 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 I had two twice before this. So. Yeah. But so, I wasn't I mean, used like this before. This was my first experience like this. But I'm just saying seemingly a good candidate for induction. I have no idea where this is going. We've deliberately not talked. I know <laughs> you're holding on to a lot of emotion. So yeah. I'm already getting like a little weepy. Oh, gosh. I wanted you to have a beautiful redeeming experience. Oh, gosh. Too, yeah. And so now I see it's not exactly like that. No, but this and, is why it's important for me to be honest, because I feel like even in our Instagram perfect world, like I took the drugs. Do you know what I mean? I did immediately the thing I said I wasn't going to do. So I'm just thinking to myself, yeah. right? With Rosie, you had a fetal heartbeat in the morning. Yeah. At 11.30 a.m. I was monitored. Yeah. There was a complication, an atresia, right? A small yeah. hole that was too small. No, it was a block in her intestines. So a block. That's essentially like stuff can't get through. Yeah. And everything was good in the morning. And then the afternoon or later that day, there was no heartbeat. Yeah. Like if you were concerned about the heartbeat, even though it was there and it was good and it was four days early, I mean, it just seems like you could look back and say, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Sure. Now that Pix sure. is here and healthy. You're right. In that moment, there was no other choice. Yeah. And I don't know where this is going to go. But I'm sad if you're hard on yourself for that choice, because you would have in a flash made the choice to induce with Rosie. Yeah. Now that you know the outcome. Yes, totally fair. So. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I think because so many things went wrong. I think as a mom, I'd imagine maybe any mom would feel this way. Like I just keep going back in my brain. Could we have done it different? And you are 1000% right. That there's no way we all wouldn't have made that choice. Like the doctor, the midwife, Paul, me, you know, like my body even like, it was like, I was already dilated. It was definitely the right time. It's just that because of like what occurs in the next couple of days in the story, it's like, you know, was she ready? And the thing is, 
Okay. What I think bothers me the most about inducing her early. And I did just talk to someone on Instagram about this who had a very public stillborn experience recently. And that's only how we know each other. Cause I reached out to her and she was asking me a question. And I said, look, I said, you know, if I could do it differently, I think I wouldn't have induced based on my history. Now that's maybe controversial because again, in the moment, we all would have chosen to take the baby out because it made the most sense because it was heightened. Everyone was a little bit worried. But like even my whole pregnancy with Pixie, you know, because of my history with Rosie and even though, yes, in fact, I did have a stillborn at 34 weeks and I do have a blood clotting disease and I am on, you know, Lovenox and heparin, I didn't have any complications with Pixie in reality. So I sort of wish I got to carry her full term without the fear of what could happen. Now, again, you're right. It's easy to say now that she's here because in the moment you're weighing your risk. So it's like, do I take the risk and see what she's like at 40 weeks and potentially lose her before then? Or do we just take her out now? And of course we took her out now. It's like deal or no deal. If you knew that the million dollars was in the case, he wouldn't have settled for $36,000, right? Okay. But in You're that right. moment, Except nobody though. would have gone on. I understand yeah. the feelings of guilt and remorse and looking back and wanting to know, did I do the right thing? But you did the right thing 100%. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Honestly, I haven't shared my story with anybody yet. So I'm happy that it's you because you're making me feel better. And also it is true. I really haven't totally looked at it with like a two month postpartum brain. You know, I've been sort of like upset about it since it happened, but I've been traumatized and then I've been sleep deprived. You know, now I am a little bit clearer headed than I was eight weeks ago, but I'm being totally honest. Like this is the thing that hurts the most is thinking maybe I did the wrong thing, but I'm glad I'm sharing it because, you know, either someone else feels this way or might feel this way. And I'm unbelievably grateful that she's here and that she's alive and she's safe. So also in the moment, I have to say, I couldn't wait to get her out. Do you know what I mean? Like I wasn't like fighting them and being like, no, I want to keep her in. Like at that point, I was super uncomfortable. As you know, I had that like pinch in the back of my uh, SI joint. I was ready to be done being pregnant. And I thought. But that's not why you went for the induction. No, but I was definitely like excited. I remember when we started inducing, I was like, I'm so excited that she's going to be here because I do want her out rather than in if something's wrong. I remember thinking that. But at the same time, I was not ready for what happened. And I don't think anybody can be ready. And I'll say this. I saw this really funny meme because I'm totally going to deflect with some humor because it's pretty heavy. But (laughs) I saw a really funny meme online that was like this guy. It's a famous meme where it's like this guy with glasses and like a flip phone. And he's like looking kind of like upset. And the meme said, you know, it's him on the phone with God. And he says, dear God, hi, can you not make me one of your strong soldiers in 2023? Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And I swear to you, that resonates so deeply with me because I was already a part of the miscarriage club. And then I became a part of the stillborn club. And now I'm a part of the NICU mom club. And I honestly just want to stop joining clubs. I really just want to like, coast a little and like stop being so enlightened and stop being given these experiences to grow. You know, I just want to chill for a second, but I will say Pixie came out. I don't know how much you want to get into the birth. It was kind of a blur. They gave me the fentanyl, which by the way, I hated. I was in the middle of talking to midwife 
And I'm like, diddle, 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 and then I was like, I am so sorry. I'm extremely high. I don't know what's happening. Like it came on so fast. Some people call like taking drugs at the hospital a free lapse when you're sober, like because it's a free relapse, which is really not funny, but it sort of is. And I know that they always say sober people are the only people that like surgeries because they get to go under, you know, but I didn't what? like it. I really didn't like the feeling, but was it lacked- a conscious choice because you had other options. No. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was like, sure, I'll take the fentanyl. I was so disappointed and upset. And like poor Paul, because he didn't plan on being my support person. I mean, obviously he planned on being in the room, but we were like so ready to do this with Satha and me and him and like just this other vibe. And I kept crying because my ball, if you see see it behind you, my my birthing ball, I didn't bring it because I thought the hospital would have one and they didn't. What labor have a birthing ball? Yeah. And so I just like gave up. I almost, I want to say disassociated a little bit. And I will say this has to do with my trauma. So I did birth Rosie and meet her and as soon as we started the birthing process, I just couldn't wait to get it over with. Like it was not something I wanted to enjoy. First of all, I didn't even mention. So we've got Paul and in walks my nurse who happens to be a gorgeous man. And I was like, I'm sorry. Hi, are you here for me? Are you going to see my butt? Like what? Like it really looked like Grey's Anatomy. Like Paul and I were laughing. Like, I mean, if he ever heard this, he was so wonderful and lovely and like great nurse. But what? Like, I wanted to have a feminine goddess. That's the thing. Everything you just (laughs) man. And then Paul. And I was just like, (laughs) like, I was so (laughs) sad. I was like, what? Like, I just kept crying because it wasn't what I wanted. And then I was texting my mom group. Okay. I think I mentioned before how paramount my mom friends are in our group chat. And they're going, Christina, you're not upset about the birthing ball. Like you're traumatized. You're about to have a baby. You're scared. She's not alive. This is not about the birthing ball. And I'm like, no, it's about the birthing ball. I need my birthing ball. Because I thought I was going to labor longer without the epidural, or I thought I wasn't going to take any drugs. And then here I am on fentanyl. Like I was kind of just like, it. Pardon my French. You know, I was like, very oh, I speak French. I'm fluent. Great. So again, I just want to be the voice for the people that do exactly what they said they weren't going to do. I mean, I just was like, yeah, sure. Okay, fine. Like I just wanted it to be faster and over. And I will say I, I did go fast within 11 hours. Pixie was here. And what happened because she came down so fast and because she came out so fast Because once I did the balloon, I was five centimeters. Then they broke my water. I labored until seven centimeters without an epidural, but without a birthing ball. I was like on the bed. I was just like, couldn't do it. They gave me an epidural at seven centimeters. I want to say within two hours, I was at 10. Like It was fast. I mean, this is my third birth. So I figured it was going to move kind of quick once the Pitocin kicked in, my body kicked in, you know, my own chemicals kicked in. In rolls in Dr. Kumetz, my doctor and gorgeous guy. I think his name was Andre. <laughs> Paul's a stand-up comedian and he really wants to talk about it on stage and I just refuse to let him. But anyway, there we are. I'm 10 centimeters and I push. And then I wanted to be like squatting. I was on my back. Like I'm telling you every single thing I wanted to do, I didn't do or didn't go my way. You know, I definitely like wanted to get up and get on, you know, all fours, but I was like, you know, had the IV in my hand because my veins burst. Like it just was like, I just want you to imagine just like a sitcom at this point, like everything that hopefully was going to go well, just like didn't. And you couldn't really script it. 
Yeah, I know. And I was just going along with it. Just like I said, I didn't disassociate in the most unhealthy way. I just sort of let go because I was like, uh, you know, like I couldn't hold on. I certainly, I had two options. So I just went with it and it, all of it's bad vibes. Like I just didn't like the vibe. So is it both though? Is it like, hey, you're giving birth now and last time this happened was really a tragedy? Yeah. And then also more surface level, you had a vision on how you wanted this one to go. A hundred percent. I think there is no way that I wasn't the most traumatized or no, I should say trauma response or triggered because I didn't know I was being traumatized. A whole new trauma. I was remembering, right? The body remembers. I was in that memory and in that triggered state of the last time I did this, my daughter was dead. Yes. And the joy someone should feel when they take the baby out and give the baby to you. I didn't feel it. I was terrified. I mean, I don't think I was breathing. I don't know when I breathed, honestly. And Paul was hysterical. And he was trying so hard not to be hysterical, by the way. He's like holding my leg and he's in my face and he's crying, but he's like looking at me like, you know, push, breathe, whatever. And I hardly remember it because, you know, I'm also terrified and I'm I just want it to be over. I just want it to be over. I just want it to be over. I, I think I pushed so freaking hard and fast because I just wanted it to be over. And she came out so fast that her body was still f- filled with fluid. So she comes out covered in the goo. What's the vernix? Yeah, the vernix. They slap her on my chest and she's blue. I mean, she was like really blue and white. And uh, grunting, grunt, 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 grunt. So those first seconds, right? I mean, obviously she's alive. She's a girl. They put her on my chest. I'm like sort of present for this. Paul's hysterically crying. I'm not breathing, but she's not breathing. So they take her. So I had her on my chest for maybe 45 seconds, maybe, maybe less because she just wasn't coming out. Like she went through the birth canal too fast. Would they take her out of the room or off your chest to the warmer? Yeah, they take her to the warmer. Paul goes with her. I'm staring at the warmer, right? The doctor is talking to me. I don't know what she's saying. I'm staring straight through her to the baby, to Paul, to the nurse. Because another three other nurses came in the room at this point. An older lady was with the baby. The handsome guy was near me. Um <laughs> And so I'm staring through her. I'm looking and Pixie is is on the thing and they're watching her. They're sucking, you know, they're sucking with the bulb. Suction, yeah. She's breathing. She's just grunting, grunt, grunt, like cra- I hear her grunting, grunting, grunting. So they look at me and go, do you want to wait? Because she might be okay. This is very normal for how fast she came out. She's like, you know, her lungs, whatever she's transitioning. Do you want to wait? And see, and I was just like, no, why would I want to wait? Because then the NICU team came in. So this must have been within five minutes. Like, I'm not sure about time, but the NICU team came in and analyzed her and said, it's up to me. So she must have just been on the borderline of like, she might work it out or she might not. And I was like, please take her. Please help her work it out. Like, I don't know anyone who would have said, no, let's wait. Not anyone in your shoes, for sure. Right. 
two things popped into my head one is that i used to work in ambulances i did volunteer ambulance and i was in college and there was a college kid my age who had called for abdominal pain and it was the craziest thing I ever saw I, I opened the door to his dorm room and he was white as a ghost freezing cold kind of stuttering his last couple of words and went unconscious and we couldn't save him but in the ambulance on the way to the hospital we're trying desperately everything under the sun and he had an artery that ruptured and he bled out completely and he had a disease that set him up for that but i remember while we were working frantically to try to get iv started on him and give him a chance the ambulance driver made a quick turn was in new york city and i hit my head just over my eyebrow uh, on the little shelf that comes down and it was painful in the moment i didn't think twice about it i never stopped working on this guy and uh, we got to the hospital and they tried for 20 minutes to bring him back and they, they just couldn't i would say 10 years later maybe i'm getting a massage and someone touches me on the eyebrow right there and the second they touched that part of my eyebrow the entire experience came back to me the sounds the smells the emotions all of it and that was just my little eyebrow i wow. can't imagine what's stored up in your body and when you have to do that whole thing again yeah. I just can't imagine, Christina, what that feels like on any level, physically, emotionally. And again, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a trauma person. Just as a human being, you are just so strong and powerful for everything that you've done. <laughs> Your kids are so, so lucky oh. that you're their mommy, that you're so strong and powerful. And when you have a deck of cards in front of you and you're dealt a hand, you make the decisions you can with the cards in your hand. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you. I don't know what happens next, but let's take a tiny little break so okay. I can get some Kleenex. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and we'll be right back. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart. Literally. Omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new Omega-3 Soft Gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell. Perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Christina Perry, Mama Christina so you have this intense birth and then the baby's gurgling and blue and you have to make the choice <laughs> yeah right should oh. we just keep her here and see what happens or send oh. her off to the NICU so you send her off to the NICU uh, the other thing is I've been to birth many times with none of this history when that happens it's like a tough scary call a lot of people most people I would think 
don't want to be in that position, you know. Some people intuitively think, like, hey, put the baby on me, the love and the warmth of me versus an incubator or things like that. And sometimes it works great. It's still a tense moment and scary, even with no history. Yes. And also because I had only the experience with Carmela, who was completely normal and healthy, and then Rosie, who was not alive, I definitely didn't know the in-between, which is like a kid that needs a little help transitioning. So I didn't, I didn't have that experience before. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what it sounded like. I didn't know anything at all. So because I didn't know, I just said, yes, please take her. I don't want to take any chances or I don't know what is wrong, you know? And in my mind, I mean, just from the conversation you had with me last time, you know, I was very worried that Pixie was not going to be okay for multiple reasons. I thought one, there's my history of not just the blood clot, but the mold and also just any birth defects. Like I didn't know, I didn't know if I got pregnant too soon after my detox and if I was ready. And there were so many variables that made me so scared when she came out and she wasn't necessarily okay. And so she goes away. I tell Paul, go with the baby because he's like, who do I take care of? You know, we're both pretty messy. And I say, so it's just you and the hot nurse. Me and the hot nurse. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently my doctor was there for a little while and sewed me up because I had lots of stuff going on there. And I don't remember. And then she spoke with me. I don't remember. And she leaves. And then also the cute nurse leaves. And for 15 minutes, I was by myself. Like literally by yourself? By myself. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm probably going to have to work through that in therapy, too, because I remember like not knowing what just happened. Like here I am, like, I'm not pregnant. I have no baby, no husband, no doctor. Like, where am I? What, what, like, it was a very, very bizarre, maybe it was five minutes. Maybe it was 10. I don't remember, but Andre, the beautiful man comes in and realizes nobody's in here with me. And he was sort of the hero of the day and ended up staying with me. And he kept checking on me every two minutes. He would leave two minutes later, come back, pretended to do something, leave, come right back. I mean, I know he was not doing anything. Like I know he was just making sure that like, you're okay. I mean, based on what I know about Andre, which is just what you told me in the past half hour, that's how I would have written the script. Yeah. Yeah. He's the hero who just comes in and let me, let me check the light bulb. Yeah, literally. So where'd you go to school? Like literally was just like trying to help me. And I was like, you know, probably malfunctioning and very visually. But at the same time, I also had, I got discharged and I got taken to a postpartum room. So there was like stuff we had to do. And then he put me in a wheelchair and he wheels me to another floor and to my room, which is next to the NICU, which is then where I reunite with Paul Paul's been with Pixie giving me updates. They put a tube down her throat and sucked everything out of her belly. Then they put an IV in her arm and they did the whole shebang. I mean, so when Paul sent me a picture of her, she looked like they look in the NICU where she had the nose thing. She had a thing on her chin. She had all these monitors on her head and her skin and her arm. I mean, it was like, you know, like I said, it's a whole new club. So being all of a sudden a parent with a baby down the hall in a box, you know, that they're working on and there's no skin to skin. There's no nursing. There's no, you know, colostrum coming out. There's no bonding that happens for the next four hours. They made me pee. They made me pump. They made me like walk around. 
And then they let me go to the NICU. And I want to say the next three days are a bit of a blur, but there was another angel in the whole story. And her name was Carol, because here's what I'm going to say. I don't want to sh on Cedar Sinai's, but I have to tell you, and I'm not even the person that sends food back when I don't like it. Like, it's really hard for me to like give a bad review. And I don't know if it's since the pandemic that they're figuring things out. And I don't know if it's because I was on a floor that wasn't the postpartum floor. I was on the NICU floor in a room that was like not a postpartum room. There are a lot of variables here, but I have to tell you that I was treated like really badly and I'm not even high maintenance or bougie when it comes to like how I'm being treated. Obviously I just had a kid. I'm like really emotional. I don't care about how big my room was or how many nurses I had. Like, I don't care about that. I like waited for 45 minutes to go to the bathroom. Nobody was helping me. I couldn't get anybody to like answer the phone. I couldn't get escorted. Like there was a lot of things that felt really funny. And I just go immediately. I'm like, okay, Paul, we got to get out of here. Like we need to talk to somebody. This doesn't feel like the postpartum recovery I need for how emotional I am and for what we're going through. So they had a suite available, but I want to say I had to pay so much money to get in that suite only to be treated how I feel like everyone should be treated, if that makes yes. sense. Yes. I even like wrote to Cedar sinai and I told them my thoughts. I was very nice. I just said, I just think everyone should have this level of care and not have to pay a giant amount of money for it. But I will say paying for the suite, I got a doula for the day. So there was this woman named Carol who's been there for like 40 years and man, did she hold me together. She knew that I was so scared and she was like, I mean, she had 15 grandkids and she had 10 children and she just held me physically. She was helping me nurse. She was holding Pixie. She was helping with her cords. She didn't leave my side. I mean, this woman didn't leave my side for like two days. And I just don't think that that was actually her job. <laughs> like, I think she was supposed to check on me and like help me with nursing if she, as a lactation consultant or whatever. When I tell you she didn't leave my side, like she took me to the bathroom, she held my hand. She was like, I, I can't even thank this woman enough. She carried me through that whole week. So Paul and I were there. They kept Pixie. They got her stomach and breathing thing immediately resolved. But then she had these two hematomas on her head that we've figured out are from the Pitocin and from her birth journey down the canal. And because of those hematomas, she was jaundiced. Now I know every baby's jaundiced, but she wouldn't go down. Her levels wouldn't go down because the blood vessels stayed put. So in order for the jaundice to come out, right, the red blood cell count has to like go down and it didn't. So they wouldn't let her leave the NICU because now, and I will say in hindsight, when your baby goes to the NICU, the only great thing is they check for literally everything. So you know that when the baby graduates the NICU, they've checked every Discovery. box. Yeah. Yeah. Like they can't even sneeze. You know what I mean? Like they are going home with being monitored by a doctor every couple hours and then like a nurse every second, you know? Right. So that was the silver lining. And the only good thing about when we were discharged is like, you know, we felt like Pixie was ready to come home but they just kept finding things. So it was like, at first it's her breathing and her grunting. And then it was her hematomas on her head. And then it was her jaundice levels. And then they told us we could leave. And we told Carmela we were coming home with the baby, which by the way, just for a moment of joy, you know, we got to FaceTime Carmela and show her her little sister. 
And she was so, so, so excited and so cute. And she just is obsessed with her. And she said that she knew her name was Pixie all along. And what's really funny is Carmela did look at me and wink at me when we were reading Peter Pan, like two weeks before the baby came. And we were reading this story of Peter Pan and it was like a bedtime story. And Wendy was saying, you know, we need to get to the pirates and bring the pixie dust. And Carmel looked at me and winked. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I said to Paul later, like, did you see that? And he was like, yeah, he was like, what was that? And I was like, I don't know. Did we say the name ever? And he's like, no, we definitely didn't. So Carmel is probably, you know, molecularly connected to this little girl so much. And she goes, I knew it. I knew the name all along. And so that moment was the joy, you know, um, that we needed. We fa actually FaceTime Carmel every time I did skin to skin. Every three hours I was allowed to be with the baby. And I'm not going to be with her the whole time. But every three hours I was there feeding, changing her diaper, doing everything I could and trying to sleep in between. Anyway, then they told us we could leave and then... We couldn't because of her jaundice levels. We finally got discharged. We brought her home. Carmel held her on the couch. It was like that, oh my God, that full circle thing. It was the best moment of my whole mm. life. And, you know, it's kind of funny, like, because it took three years to make Pixie, I kind of wanted, I joked around about giving Pixie to Carmel and leaving. <laughs> Being like, here, I did it. <laughs> I'm going to Disneyland. I was tired. I was so tired. I was like, here is your, your sibling. <laughs> But truly, truly, you know, I can't even put into words the healing that occurred, you know, that day. And I want to say that then the rest was fine. But the truth is, it wasn't. She was so jaundiced, she had to go on a billy bed in our house. And so I couldn't skin to skin or bond with her every minute she had to be on the billy bed that she wasn't eating. But I tried my best. I had maybe three days that my milk was late. So Fortunately, it came in. I had the best lactation consultant ever, this woman named Rosemary. Again, just an incredible human that found their way into my life. And she walked me through getting Pixie off of the bottles from the NICU. And I think she was on formula for two or three days. And then I was on to exclusively breastfeeding. So proud of my body. I, you know, have been through so much with her because she, you know, really had a rough start to life. And like now that I'm through it and I feel like we were texting each week. There was something. It was like the jaundice week. And then there was, she had a lip tie and then we got that removed. And then she had uh, her tongue tie and we got that released. And then Carmela had RSV and was in a hotel. And oh my goodness. No. Quarantining for week five of her life. And then she had just like one thing after the other. So much so we were at the pediatrician 15 times already. She's got like more specialists than I do. Like she has her craniosacral therapist that she saw every single week of her life so far. She had a little bit of grunting issue. And I think they injured maybe her little flap when oh, they were the, uh, intubation. incubation because she has this yeah. little popping that happens with her throat. I will tell you, bottom line, I do not want to sound like I'm complaining it's the last thing I want to sound like. I have a baby who's alive. That was my only goal for 2023. I am so grateful she's here. I am so grateful for the team of doctors, the NICU, my family, my husband's family. I've flown my husband's mom back and forth three times. I keep thinking we're okay. And then I fly her back because we need more help. Everyone has shown up for me. Like everyone in my whole life has gone out of their way to be there for me. And 
honestly, the whole year. I mean, now that I'm through it, you know, I'm through this. Oof, what I hope is 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 on to the next chapter of my life. I hope that that chapter ended and this one began. Like, I really hope it's new and it's different. Like the next five years, you know, it feels like the last five years were so hard and fruitful. I have two beautiful living daughters, but I am so torn apart and, 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 and tired emotionally, you know, and now I can heal. I think that's the whole moral of the story or the end of the bow on the present or whatever. I think now I can move on in the sense of move forward. And I guess there's no on, I can move forward and I can like be so grateful for my little family And now I'm just dealing with fourth trimester stuff. Like I'm cracking up, like I'm exhausted. And, you know, I'm like doing all the overnights and Paul and I are trying to figure out, you know, like her gas and she's colicky and I've quit dairy and gluten and soy. Like these things feel very normal. I'm in it. I'm having, you know, challenges like a regular new again mom. I'm hormonal, you know. I'm going through all the things. I don't think I have postpartum depression right now. I feel okay. I feel like my head's just sort of above water, but I know that it's waves and I know that I have to make it through all the waves and all the hormones as I regulate. And I weigh as much as I did, like right before I had the baby, my body is not letting go of an ounce. It's like holding on for dear life while I'm breastfeeding. Like some women just like lose all this weight. And I just- Did that happen with Carmela too? Yeah, I kept all the weight until I stopped breastfeeding. So I feel like it's like one or the other. Either they just suck everything out of you. It's genetic. I'm I'm convinced. But you know, I didn't bounce back. I don't fit in any of my clothes yet. And oh, welcome to my world. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I have a few more questions for you. We're gonna take a little break, but before we go to that break, when you said your head's just above water, it reminded me of Jim Gaffigan. Mm. When he came out, I think it was his Mr. Universe special. He came out and goes, Oh, I just became a father. And everybody goes nuts. So like huge applause. Yeah. And he goes, Yeah, for the fourth time. And then it's dead silent. Oh my God. I'm like, yeah. Not too much applause for the fourth baby. And he said, If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth baby, just picture yourself drowning <laughs> and someone hands you a baby. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. So at least you're just drowning. Well, because also I have to say, you know, I thought I was going to have it easy with a four, almost five-year-old going from one to two. Because, you know, everyone says the transition from one to two is the hardest. And I'm like, yeah, but Carmel is like 14. Like, she'll be fine. (laughs) Oh, my God. The feelings in her are so big. And it's funny because she's obsessed with Pixie. But for a second at a time, because Pixie just sits there. And so Carmel will come over and be like, Hey, Sissy and squeeze her cheeks. And then she's like off and playing. And Pixie's just like, what happened? Who is that? You know, and I know they'll be friends soon, but right now Carmel's like, whatever. She's so upset with me and Paul, right? So it was the transition with our time and spreading out our time. So we have not had it easy with our toddler and everyone goes through that. And gosh, I just feel so lucky too, because, you know, when we lost Rosie and I'm just watching all my friends have second, third kids, you know, and I was like, I knew my family wasn't done yet. You know, I wanted still so badly to have this experience. So I'm trying to remind myself of that when I'm like not sleeping in the middle of the night or, you know, when I'm frustrated or when I feel like I just want to go to Hawaii alone. (laughs) Like I keep thinking like (laughs) 
well, I'm just going to go on vacation real quick. (laughs) uh, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Like, you know, like I keep feeling I need to like get in the car and drive or, you know, I know these feelings I've had them before. And I will say like, I'm letting myself feel them and I don't feel guilty for feeling them because there's this other brand new guilt that comes from like, yeah, but you know, your baby's alive. And you know, how could you complain about having a baby? Like, well, you know, it's not so much complaining as it is sharing, but I'm letting myself have all the feelings. I'm not saying like, I need to pretend this is why I came on as messy as I am right now. This is why I wanted to document this with you too, because I refuse sometimes, like I want so badly to be the person on Instagram with the perfect house, you know, tidy rooms and the organized cupboards and the kid and and everybody smiling. And sometimes we do look like that. And, you know, I have a really cute picture of Carmela and Pixie both smiling, but like all the moments in between are so messy. And like the birth was so messy and the postpartum was so messy. And I just like felt like I deserved for it to be something different. And the truth is like, just, that's just not life. Like, I don't know. Like I said, I'm tired of being a strong soldier. I'm not going to lie. I'm (laughs) I'm handing in my gear or my my (laughs) fields and stuff. I'm like fully, you know, I say that of course I won't, but But I are such a strong soldier. Thank you. And even the fact that you can sort of blend in, you know, a little bit of laughter with all the grief and all the guilt. Well, Uh, I found out and I posted this the other day and so many people wrote to me just about this one phrase because I said that I learned that joy and grief hold hands. And I didn't Mm. know that. I did not know that until I knew it. So that has been this year. This whole year, this, and I mean, definitely the past five. Well, I mean, this is going to be great for Paul because another similar thing is tragedy plus time equals comedy. <laughs> so it's right. just a matter of how much time till his set gets really good. Oh my um, God. Let's take one more break. We'll come back and wrap it up. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. So now we know the rest of the story. I mean, honestly, I think as a non-involved person, I can't imagine anybody would make different choices than you made. Thank you. And they're so freaking hard to make. And it just shows so much strength you have to have been able to do it. And it's human to go back and question and to think, what if I had done this and not that? And, you know, there's even movies about that. What if I just took that door and not that door? You know, all of life would have been different. I'm grateful that you're home with your family, with your husband and your two girls, and that your neck is above water. Your head is above water, not underneath it. And I'm so grateful that you came to share while you're still going through it. I mean, it's so, so hard. But, you know, life is not Instagram. Mm. And if we don't share and talk open and honestly about the struggles that we have and pretend like we're doing great, I think I put on my Facebook maybe two years ago around uh, this time of year is my New Year's resolution is to look like my Facebook profile. That guy is amazing. He's first of all, he's 20 pounds lighter than I am. (laughs) He is the best relationship ever with his wife and family. I want to be like my Facebook guy. I guess now he's an Instagram guy. My meta dude. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, you know, this is life. This is real life. And I I can only pray and hope that you get 
the pendulum swinging even further the other way, not just being just above the surface, you know, with a living baby, but having all the joys and peace that you deserve. So here we are. How old is Pixie now? She is two months old. Okay. So about eight weeks. weeks. Nine weeks. And it sounds like you're just getting a little breathing space. Yes. I'm also just believing she's here. I'll tell you that much. I feel like I've been a bit in shock. I have been, you know, regular postpartum shock, like just like remembering how crazy the fourth trimester is and like feeling overwhelmed. And like that causes like a sense of survival mode, right? So you're in survival mode in the beginning. And I feel like that's for everybody. But when you add in what I went through and Paul, what Paul went through, like we just kept waiting for her not to be okay especially because we came home from the NICU and then because she had some health issues each week. I just kept waiting for someone to tell me she wasn't okay and she was going to go away. And I had therapy for the first time this week. It was interesting. We talked about everything but the birth because that's like, we need our own session for that. But we talked about, we're going backwards. So we started with where I am now and we're going back. And that's the first thing that my therapist said to me was like, can we just look at Pixie and believe that she is here? And she is so cute (laughs) and she is obsessed with me now i remember carmela you know loving me and bonding with me because we're breastfeeding and it's just this beautiful thing but i don't remember carmela staring at me the way pixie does and when i hold pixie she also makes me hold her around her body and then i also have to hold her finger and she has to look up at me and make sure i'm there So we have this a little bit of extra bonding to do, I think, because of her experience, you know, going to the NICU first. And I wonder if other NICU moms have this experience where the bond might actually be a little deeper because we are doing extra to like make up for it. So I also think, you know, it's funny and it's also exhausting that like no one can soothe her as good as me. So like I get grandma trying and Paul trying and all the aunts trying and all the friends trying. And then the second she gets to me, she's just quiet. And she is just like my little buddy. And I am finally letting myself enjoy it. So that sound, or I should say, because every week has been so different. So the vibe of week nine really is this like me settling into believing that she is here and she is well. And in doing that, you know, I'm just madly in love with her. And like, she is so in love with me. It's insane. Like everyone even says like, I can't get over how she looks at you. Like she just is mommy's girl. So that is where we are at. And she is healthy and safe. I love week nine. Me too. This is my favorite one. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, it's got to just get better and better and better. More of that, less of what's been happening up until now. And, you know, as she gets bigger, you'll get more sleep. Yes. Yes. All the things I'm reminding myself are temporary. And all the self-care, like each piece will build you up and, you know, get to move around and do some exercise, try to find a decent chiropractor to visit. Like any of those things would be helpful for you. So I have a couple of questions. One is just recommendation wise, like if you're my friend and you're going through that, is there any right or wrong thing for you that would have felt right or wrong to say or to offer or to do? What did you need and want? During which part? Like the post, the NICU, and then oh. coming home. And like, even now, you know, like you said, mother-in-law is coming back and forth because you 
yeah, need yeah. support? Like what kind of things could your friends do for you that would be helpful and supportive? Great question. I feel like, so some things that people have done, like my best friend came and just took Carmela out. So it's so interesting. Like I obviously care very much about the baby, but I care so much about Carmela's emotions and her transition and not traumatizing her or like, you know, creating rifts in our relationship that we're going to have to go back and work on. So I've tried to make sure that Carmela is like super loved and bonded and like, you know, having fun. Like I don't want her to just be like alone in her playroom. So it meant so much to me to have people come over and play with Carmela or swoop her up, put her in their car and take her to Target or Starbucks or, you know, like any little adventure meant the world to me for my older baby. And then for me, if anyone could just grab Pixie so I could shower or eat or pee. You're so demanding. Yeah, I know. (laughs) No, but this is what I remember of the fourth trimester with Carmela. It's like just the basic needs. I just want to do them first. And then, you know, like I went and got a pedicure, like, you know, like things like that will slowly trickle in now. And so in the very beginning, you know, what's most helpful, I think is food, like people that cook for me or brought food or just fed me and didn't ask me what I wanted. That was a lot of Paul and his mom. And then, you know, I think a gentle congratulations, you know, I love that language. So many people said that to me when I got pregnant, even with Rosie, because I had a miscarriage. And then after we lost Rosie and then got pregnant with Pixie, a lot of people said a gentle congratulations to you. And that means so much to me because it's like, I don't want the big crazy hoopla, you know, especially because what we went through was hard in the NICU. It was very much about, Hey, I love you. I see you. Are you okay? Do you need anything? What can I do? And me going, I'm okay. We're okay. I need some more time. A lot of that, just a gentle check-in was the best thing. That's really powerful. And something I think very tangible that is helpful for us, you know, the people who could be there to support you. Gentle congratulations. That should be a balloon. Yeah. (laughs) A small one. But a balloon. Tiny gentle congratulations. Yes. Um, I know you have to get back to your baby. And I just want to say again how grateful I am, how inspired I am by you, how special you are, how lucky I am to have any kind of connection to you and relationship with you. And so is everybody around you. You're just a super special person. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. And thank you for this space. I feel like so much healing just happened in real time in this conversation because it's areas I haven't yet kind of looked back on. And I will continue to do the work in therapy and trauma work to work through some of the stuff that might get stuck in my body. But honestly, the conversation we had right now definitely just worked out a lot of pain. I think I've been holding on to and regret. So I'm grateful to you. Yeah, it's mutual. So here's what I have by way of follow-up. As I promised, I sought out a doctor who I respect a lot. His name is Dr. Nathan Fox, and he's a OBGYN and a maternal fetal medical specialist. And we have a very in-depth, but also broken down and easy to understand conversation about clotting disorders. 
what they are, the different types, how they kind of affect you, how they can be tested for, what the results might mean or not mean, you know, once you are diagnosed and how treatment works. And, you know, for just as you saw, the kind of clotting disorder that you have is treated extremely effectively with the protocol that you used very successfully. So that's Dr. Nate Fox on clotting disorders will come after our series of episodes here. Then I just interviewed a mom who is also super inspirational. She's also a NICU mom and she was in fashion and clothing and she became a doula so that you know, she could be there to help other people transition when it goes well and also when it's more complicated. And I think if you listen, you listen to that, you're going to hear a lot of resonation for things that you went through that probably a lot of NICU parents go through. And then, I don't know, so six months down the road, we'll check back in with you, perhaps <laughs> together with my wife, who's a real therapist, and just kind of see how you healed and the not messy you, not you, <laughs> the other, oh, not just the Paul number two, Christina too. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Instagram Christina, but it's real. Uh, the integrated uh, Christina. That's what it is. Integrated Christina. Integrated. I'm ready for that. All right. And I can only assume, like I said, Paul's comedy will get better and he'll have material and your music will continue to be powerful and inspiring and moving. Just for my sake, tell me where we can find you online. Sure. You can find me anywhere on Spotify, on Instagram, at Christina Perry. And I will say, I'll already plug, my upcoming lullaby will be Songs for Pixie, my third installment of my lullaby series. And I'm working right now on the track list, which is adorable. And I'm going to make a lullaby record just for her. Oh, I cannot wait. I cannot <laughs> wait to hear that. I wonder if your other music will show up randomly on our Pandora for Business several times a week. I get to uh, a little. I love that. I tell people that's me saying hi. <laughs> I love it. All right. I appreciate you. I'm going to go visit you online. And for us, we have this whole new platform called Informed Pregnancy Plus. And anybody who wants to check it out, it's at informedpregnancy.tv. 